0: Jeff Salzman here, and welcome to The Daily Evolver. Today, I'm joined by Corey DeVos, Editor-in-Chief of Integral Life. Hey, Corey. Hey, my man. Good to be back. Yes, good to have you. And today, we have a very special guest with us, Chris Grasso, who is an integral teacher and author who I met for the first time over New Year's at the What Now conference that Integral Life put on. And... Chris did a presentation there that I think really transmitted uh, what makes Chris so special. And there's a freshness, there's a youth, there's this sort of uh, living proof of the power of his own teaching. And you may know of Chris, he wrote the book Integral or Indie Spiritualist Mm -hmm. a while back that got a lot of attention in the integral world. And he has just released a new book that I love. I'm just really into it. And it's uh, called Dead Set on Living, Making the Difficult but Beautiful Journey from Fucking Up to Waking Up. So welcome, Chris Grasso.
1: Thank you, Mr. Salzman and Mr. DeVos. It is a pleasure and an honor to be uh, in your, even though it's the interwebs, in your presence again. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: In our virtual presence.
1: Yes, virtual presence. Here we are. Everybody
0: who's listening, yes. Yes. From,
2: one, from one fuck up to another, it's good to have you here, buddy. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's, well, that's how we get it started. <laughs> yeah, well, that's where I'd like to start, actually. You know, you talk about fucking up to waking up, and, and you know of what you speak. And, oh, I'm, uh, I'm a pro. I'm a pro. <laughs> and, and, and a lot of your book is about your story and also the lessons from your story that are really eclectic, really beautiful, really well put together. And um, like I said, I, I really love it. I feel a transmission coming through this book. Thank and you. so I guess I just start there and ask you to tell us a little about, a little about the story and the book and how you got this going.
1: Yeah. I mean, so uh, it is my third book, which just came out on Tuesday with uh, Simon and Schuster and Gallery, um, who's a subdivision. And um, I'm really, going to put
0: it up on the screen here.
1: Oh, cool. Yay. <laughs> There it is. Yeah. Even, it was a real uh, real cool honor to have Mr. Bam Margera write that endorsement. Um,
2: yeah, it's awesome. My daughter yeah. loved the Dragonfly
0: too, man.
1: Oh, yeah. Wow. It seemed to be getting a lot of nice feedback about that.
0: I was curious about that. You put the guy from Jackass on your cover. <laughs> even though you have Jack Cordfield and Ram Dass and Ken Wilber and Sharon Salzberg and all these like, you know, A-list people on the inside. That's right. But, uh, but know, I love it.
2: I, can, I, I, I call that skillful
1: means. Skillful means. Well, I mean, yeah. one, I did put him on the cover because he uh, has gone through his own struggles with addiction uh, severely, and he was actually on, um, size, besides being known for his role in Jackass and uh, the CKY videos, um, he was also on a VH1 show uh, like. Two years ago, it was like family rehab or something like that about his alcoholism. He lost his best friend to a drunk driving accident, and he had always um, party to excess. But it uh, really went down a very dark road for him. Mm. And um, and so his sister in law, whose husband is the drummer of the band CKY, not to be confused with the videos, um, she had somehow gotten a copy of my books and and churned. Um, Or or, or here's the story real quick. Bam was over their house, I guess, and saw the books and was like, oh, you know that author or or, or do you know that author? And she was like, yeah. And he's like, that's crazy. Hawk, meaning Tony Hawk, the skateboarder, um, told me to read those books because Tony Hawk had endorsed my first book, which that in and of itself was a huge um, honor. Yeah, I still have like from the 80s, I still have my very first Tony Hawk skateboard. Over on my fridge, I have a postcard. I wrote Tony Hawk in 1988, and he wrote me back, and uh, I have his autograph from 88. I have, actually have a, I don't know if anyone can see if there's viewers, but a Tony Hawk tattoo. Oh, so, awesome. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big Tony Hawk fan. So, anyways, it was just really neat for me to, because, I mean, yes, Ram Dass, Ken Wilber, these are my spiritual teachers, but growing up, my real first introduction to spirituality, albeit unbeknownst to me, because I didn't have spiritual context to put around it was punk rock, was hardcore music, was underground hip hop, skateboarding, things that were raw and passionate that began to I know it's cliche, but really to unplug me from the matrix and teach me to start thinking for myself and questioning everything a teaching you hear often in buddhism and 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 many
0: of the great wisdom traditions so um I kind of that's, that's interesting to hear to me, Chris, yeah. because I didn't go through any of that. Because sure. I'm old. Uh, <laughs> you're young. You know, but, you know, so you hear punk rock, you see these guys that it seems so transgressive and so, you know, dangerous and so negative, you know, if you don't know any better. Right. But you're saying that this actually expanded the playing field for you or
1: Oh, big time. I mean, I was around 13 when I was introduced to that, to punk rock and hardcore. I'd gone through the alternative music phase with like Soundgarden and Nine Inch Nails and Nirvana, Pearl Jam, all that stuff. And I still love those bands this day. Um, but for me, it was the first time I had a friend He was two years older than me. He put a, a seven inch on. And I remember the raw passion. It like cut right to the core of me. And I didn't recognize it as a spiritual experience until fast forward, maybe 10 years. I know we're jumping around a bit here, but the first time I ever heard a Krishna Das album, who is a Grammy nominated Kirtan musician. And I remember putting that album on and it, that was the second time in my life that I had that same experience of hearing my first punk hardcore record, where it just cut right to the core, like of the essence of my being Two, you know, totally different sides of the musical spectrum. Mm. But they had the same impact. And the thing with punk and hardcore, it is often misconstrued as negative. There certainly is negativity around it, but there are a slew of positive bands, positive messages, unity um, coming together. Um, There's a lot of just exceptionally positive stuff happening there, people that volunteer their time. you know, whether it's in a soup kitchen or with Food Not Bombs, um, all sorts of wonderful things happening. But sure, there's also negative too. Bad yeah. Brains, one of the biggest punk bands of all time, their biggest thing is called PMA, Positive Mental Attitude. You know, PMA, that's like a, a you know, you see tons of people. That's like
0: you Norman see- Vincent Peale, for God's <laughs> sake.
1: <laughs> see, so there is a lot of crossover. And the cool thing to me is, so I'm turning 40 this year. And so a lot of these like older punk rock hardcore people like myself, I'm running into in various like Buddhist settings or at a Ram Dass retreat or a Ken Wilber event or, you know, like there there are because they got involved in that because they were looking for something more. They weren't finding it at face value in life. And as you get older, for many of us, it's led us towards the spiritual path and exploring there, going inside rather than out. So um, I I owe a huge debt of gratitude to punk rock and hardcore and metal and again underground hip hop and I love jazz and and all I'm a I'm a musician so I have a very diverse taste in music. Um, I was going to say eclectic, but my girlfriend. <laughs> side note: I did an interview the other day, and she was in the other room, and it was like a half-hour interview. And I'm like, "Oh, that went pretty well." I'm thinking to myself, and the first thing she says to me, and we joke about this, so I can say, she's like. You say eclectic too much instead of like, (laughs) instead of nice job, like that, that was great. That's the first thing she says. I'm like, really like not like hey that you said some good stuff she's like well no that goes without saying i'm around you all the time i know you say good stuff but we need to get you a, th- a thesaurus or something you know, Well, I let like me
0: just that say novel. that uh, just a, a, a comment here about one of the reasons i loved your book so much yeah is that <clears throat> i think of it as spiritually promiscuous <laughs> in the sense of you know a lot of good integral people you you're out there and what you do in this book is you talk to spiritual teachers who have meant something to you, who have been, have have given you a piece of the puzzle that has helped you turn your life around and, you know, become who you are. And rather than just an interview, uh, you actually, um, uh, in a way, translate their teachings into your own life, into your own words. And I have to say, in a couple of cases, better than they do for me. But... (laughs) be that uh, neither here nor there, sure. but, but you're getting, um, you know, it's, it's, it's literally multi-perspectival and right. yet tied together in an integration that I think is really something.
1: Well, I appreciate that. And giving respect where respect is due, that's where my friend Alice Peck um, comes into play. You know, the book is by me. These are my conversations and they were conversations. They weren't really necessarily interviews, but she was so helpful in helping me make them uh, a narrative. We didn't want to do an anthology; just this interview. You know, we wanted it to be a very intimate exploration. Going back to your original question of, you know, why this book essentially is, you know, exploring why people return to these self-defeating behaviors, even when they know they're they're going to harm them. And so, in my case, it was inspired. My main um experience of pain and suffering in life not my only but my main has been drugs and alcohol and predominantly alcohol um and i have relapsed a number of times stumbled staggered picked myself back up you know spent years in sobriety and meditation and for one reason or another i would end up going back to that and so it's like what the hell is going on, you know? And i had been doing a lot of work on myself and, and um, seeing a therapist, um, attending 12-step fellowships, writing on steps. And, and I do want to be clear before I go any further that I don't advocate, I, I share about my experience, but I don't advocate one form of anything over another, like one form of spirituality, one form of recovery, one form of well-being. I take a very integral approach. The uh, The ILP book, Integral Life Practice, has been huge for me in my life because it did have so many diverse practices. And, and I love the like one, two, three modules. And um, so, you know, that's that was a big influence um, as well as I approached this book because – being the diverse slash eclectic, now I'm going to need a third word person that I am, um, and having taught so many workshops now at this point and spoken at conferences and festivals, and and again, having the honor to be there with you guys out in Colorado over New Year's recently, it, it, what I've learned, if nothing else, is that we are each, and this probably should go without saying, but we're each very unique individuals, And so what works for one person is not going to work for another necessarily. And that's why it was so important for me to take this exploration of not only why do we return to these behaviors, and let me be clear, this is not just a book about drugs and alcohol. I mean, it explores it all, like from sex to shopping to gambling, internet, television, video games, I mean, whatever, whatever we use as a means of numbing out of you know, aversion essentially, and not that any of those things in and themselves are wrong, but when done to excess or again as a means of aversion, that's where it becomes an issue. And I can put a check mark to many of the aforementioned things aside from drugs and alcohol in my case. But so that's why I wanted to explore that question through all of these various viewpoints and whether it's a spiritual tradition whether it's an addiction expert whether it's a neuroscientist um, but in a way that is very easily accessible for any reader anytime i write a book what i do is i try to think about my 19 year old self and i do that because that's where i cross that line from abuse of drugs and alcohol over to addiction and i you know i try to think well you know. What if I had this book in my hand at that time? Would that have made a difference? I obviously can't answer that question. Maybe yes, maybe no. Maybe it would have sent me more in a trajectory of a healthy life. Maybe not. Um, but I do write with that in mind. And I do have a great passion for working with youth. And I'm honored and blessed to work with. Um, at Bi-weekly, I do a workshop with um, roughly 13 to 20-year-olds down at a, uh, a youth mental health and well-being facility. Um, aside from the conferences and whatnot. So, you know, I and mean, Are you
0: working with uh, uh, the spiritual principles with these kids?
1: I, yeah, essentially. Well, what I've been doing is I, I go in there and I'm, as I do in my books and my talks and every time I go there, cause they're, you know, they're only there for X amount of day. So weekly I'm often meeting new, um, new residents that are coming in and um, I let them know very much uh, right off the bat that look, This is my experience. And just like I said earlier, what I share. And I try to make it more interactive. I don't want to sit there and just talk at them. Who wants to be talked at? You know, I want to hear from them. I want to address specifically what's going on for those who are comfortable sharing. But yes, I do. Like, I talk about meditation. I try to present it in a more of a broad fashion using, you know, mindfulness techniques or certain breath uh, practices, like whether it's 446 or 478 or whatever. So I'm not pushing any kind of spiritual or religious agenda on them, you know, I'm trying to meet, and not just with youth, with anyone. I try to meet people where they're at in a way that will allow them to be open um, to the message that I'm bringing. And essentially, that message is just, "How can I help you in your healing journey?" Yeah, that's it.
2: Yeah, and Chris, I think this is this is this is where I find you to be a tremendously gifted and skilled teacher. Thank you. Um, it, it, you know, you're not. And, and, you know, cycling back to the beginning of the conversation, this is why I was excited to see Bam Margera on the cover of your book, because sure. what you're doing is you're, you're bringing these teachings, you're bringing this dharma to an audience that otherwise might never be exposed to it, right? Right. If you would put Ram Das on the cover, if you put Ken Wilber on the cover, I mean, it's not to say that Ram Dass is following and, you know, the integral audience won't get a lot out of this book. They certainly will. Sure. Right? but they're i mean we're irradiated with this stuff with these perspectives you know and and to actually find a way to communicate um you know the the amazing uh sort of healing capacities and the um you know the the transmission of of sort of a deeper liberation than your addiction is going to bring you um to you know a, a, a groups of people who otherwise would not be you know, necessarily seasoned for, for receiving this kind of message, I, I think is, is, um, a gift. And for me is exactly, you know, it's, it's right on schedule. You know, I've been talking for a while, how I think that the next, you know, sort of maturation point for integral is going to be moving beyond us getting really good at talking to each other, which, which right. we are. And that's, that's what the last 15 years have, have really been about. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's about turning around and reengaging the world and packaging this wisdom in a way that, you know, can actually create value for people, can actually, um, you know, move the needle in their personal lives. Mm -hmm. And for Jeff and I, uh, you know, this is, this is a tremendously um, personal uh, conversation as well. We, you know, Jeff and I have a mutual friend and, and um, colleague uh, who used to work with Daily Evolver who, you know, lost his life to addiction. Yes. Um, So it's, you know, it's not to say that, that you know, just because you're, you know, again, irradiated and in integral perspectives, that certainly doesn't mean you're immune to, you know, um, of sort of, you know, sliding down uh, into those holes. Um, but, but just the fact that you're out there and you're doing what you're doing and you're demonstrating these, these you know, not just the wisdom that you've accumulated, but the capacity to communicate that wisdom to yeah. people who really need to hear that message the most, I think is, is amazing. So props to you, man.
1: Well, sir, you make me feel all warm and fuzzy. Thank you. Uh, No, really, I appreciate that. But that is why I um, not just with putting certain people's names on the cover, you know, but I try to get, um, you know, all these different endorsements from different uh, perspectives. You know, I was very blessed with my second book, not only to have Ken write the foreword, but, um, you know, to have Jeff Bridges of all people endorse it and then tweet about it. You know, that's crazy to me. Um, but like with this book, you know, as Jeff mentioned, you know, it has, you know, a list of, of really wonderful, uh, contributors, people that have deeply impacted my life in one way or another, hence I, they're in the book, otherwise they wouldn't be, but when it comes to endorsements, you know, having people like Robert Thurman, who I deeply respect writing an endorsement or Raghunath, Ray Capo, singer of Youth of Today, one of the oldest, you know, most well known punk bands and like like I said, Bam or um, Richard Rohr, you know, a, a very well-known Christian uh mm-hmm. I don't know if he's Christian mystic or or what he technically calls himself, but, you know, um I with all of my books, I try to get a very eclectic mix of people, um, of of words, you know, not looking for name recognition, but really so people can see that this book isn't just for one type of audience. It's really- yeah, that's
2: right. Yeah, yeah. Constellating these di- very different person, you know, and I just read through the names on the back of the book. Yeah, and I put them together, and I say, man, I want to go to that party.
0: <laughs> right? Wouldn't that be interesting? You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, yeah. That yeah. would be something. I want to go too. Let's make it happen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and you also point out. I mean, we're all addicted to something. I yeah. Mean, it's just the nature of being human, at least at this stage of development, that we yes. are just. Um, you know, we find ourselves unhealthily attracted to all sorts of things. Yeah. And this, um, you know, and we, and we, the antidote to that is continued development actually, yeah. which comes from practice. Yeah. And so what I'd like to ask you, Chris is so, okay. So you've, you've kissed a lot of frogs. I don't mean to be glib about that, but you've got a lot of, you've know, got a lot of transmissions. Uh, what, how how what's the integration here i mean what do we uh need that we don't have what are we ignoring where are our blind spots particularly with integralists but also with the people that you're specifically talking to uh you know who are recovering uh just give us a little bit of some of the actual spiritual download
1: well again i can only really share from my own personal experience. Um, You know, as I mentioned, we're all unique individuals, so we have our own unique set of circumstances, and I honor that fact very much, and that's why I always try to be very clear. But first and foremost, um, and Ken talks a lot about this in his chapter in the book, which has been very big in my own healing journey, is reintegrating and reowning my shadow material, you know, which is to say that unconscious. Mess that is deep down in there, you know that you know really getting in touch with it through various practices that i 've learned from Ken and others um, i have I see a wonderful therapist on a weekly basis who helps me I like and it 's not talk therapy like he goes deep it 's more like let 's get into your emotions and feel your feelings and what 's coming up and what 's blocking that, and let 's remove that and let's go deeper and um, my old college professor, actually, who was like a second mom to me, actually, she saw him for many years. And when I told her I want to get back in therapy, she's like, This is your guy. And I trust her implicitly. She's the one who actually set me on the spiritual path in the first place. Yeah. Um, And I'll never forget, you know, I was weary. I'm weary of therapists because in many cases they can do more harm than good. And I've seen that happen. But when I sat down, the first book I noticed on his shelf was Gabor Mate's um, In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts, which is huge for me, been very influential. as soon as I saw that, it was just like, okay, I'm in good hands. Um, (laughs) So I'm very lucky. But really, I think a big part of it, uh, again, at least for me, is the willingness to become uncomfortable, to get raw to get vulnerable and to go within and explore these places inside of ourselves that we, whether they're unconscious or they're, you know, semi-conscious, like we kind of know we're there, but we're pushing them away to really get into that stuff. For me, that's where my real healing journey began, sifting through all that wreckage that was in there. Now I know in my case, it's a bit more extreme than maybe a lot of your listeners because because of the addictive uh, life I've lived, which has led me to nearly die on a number of occasions and suicide attempts and jail cells and emergency rooms and psychiatric hospitals and detoxes and rehabs and on and on it goes and more than one occasion with all of them. Um, but again, that's what led me to write this book. You know, what's going on? Why are we doing that? And and the beautiful thing is not to get off topic, but I forgot to mention earlier, what was so important for me with this book is not only is each chapter a different converse, narrative conversation with what we could call quote unquote an expert in their field, but it provides a correlating practice at the end. So, you know, talking is great. Let's get the conversation started. Let's start thinking about things. But when we begin to practice, that's where the rubber meets the road—that's where, in in my experience, at least, the true healing begins. And I love how Kent talks about waking up, growing up, and cleaning up. He wrote a lot of, uh, at length about that in the introduction to my second book, Everything Mind. And um, you know, he talks about how a lot of people are great in one area and not great in another. And I took that very seriously when I read that. And um, and so I'm very cautious in my life to try to. Be even on all levels. Of course, on any given day, one will be higher than the other, but as long as my awareness is there, you know, and that's why taking an integral approach for me works well. So it is various shadow practices, it is attending a 12 step fellowship and having a sponsor and writing on steps, it is eating well, it is waking up and going to the gym and working out usually about six times a week, you know, it's a mind, it really is a mind, body, spirit approach, you know, honoring all parts, my entire essence of being, so to speak. Um, So that would, I mean, and I see a lot of people that, that could really use that, you know, they're doing great in one area but they're lacking in another. And that's not me making a judgment on them. That's just something I notice, you know, and and that happens for me too. I am so far from perfect. I throw, I mean, you know, as you've seen in this book and my past two books, I throw my bus, myself under the bus all the time. Like, because I am a constant screw up, you know, and I make that very clear. I am no expert. I am not a spiritual teacher. I am just someone who is blessed to be alive. You guys mentioned you lost someone in the integral community. I lose several friends a year, at least to this thing. Last year, I lost a few people in their 20s to addiction, you know, or even to suicide because of um, untreated depression. Um, but that's that's one area I see, like, you know, we need to be willing to go, go deeper, push a little bit further, and not push ourselves to the extreme where we're going to, you know, cause unneeded depression or anxiety, but really the willingness to go to these places that, aren 't comfortable, um, however, once we start working through it that 's where once we begin healing and reintegrating them, we do feel more peace and more contentment and more comfort in our life on a daily basis, not always because it 's life, and we know life will you know it can be a total shit storm um, just yesterday, as an example, my girlfriend and i we were getting ready to go to my friend 's fortieth birthday party and uh, Literally, like 15 20 minutes before we were going, we had a call from her mother um, that their family dog um, needed to be put to sleep. And uh, so, I went from being very excited and joyous, you know, with my friend's gift, his 40th birthday, a dear friend, gonna go see a lot of friends I've been seeing in a long time, a joyous celebration, to ending up in um, the veterinarian office on a Sunday afternoon um, with her, her sister, her mother, and a family friend as they put their dog to sleep. And I've had to put, you know, I've I've not I but my family, at least we've lost at least, I think, probably half a dozen dogs. And it brought a lot of that up for me. And um, and, you know, I spent the afternoon a good part of it there with them crying, hugging, working through it. And uh, and it brought up a lot of shit for me. And and that's life. But yeah. I was able to breathe through it. I was able to integrate practices that I write about in this book or I teach so I didn't have to go out and pick up a drink or right. a drug or, you know, a pint of ice cream. And again, that's, and sometimes a <laughs> pint of ice cream, God damn, it is called for. So I'm not <laughs> saying don't do it. Um, you you can
2: a, do a Haagen-Dazs meditation. That's totally, <laughs> that's totally acceptable.
1: Right. I, so yes, mindful Hagen dazs meditation. I We should write a book or, you know, we can, <laughs> let's get on this um, million dollar idea right there. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, so anyways, um, And then it just becomes like riding a bike, you know? And then the more you do it, the more natural it becomes. There will be good days and bad. Um, I love, love, love in the four agreements, how Don Miguel Ruiz, you know, those four agreements are so simple. But he also points out in a very clear matter of fact way that our 100% 100 one day is not going to be the same the next. and honoring that you know and and just showing up and doing our best each day that we can you know and what what else can you really ask for in life
0: so you had one of one of the epigrams in your book uh, it just hit me between the eyes and it's something i've been thinking about in general uh about where we're going evolutionarily and the, the, the epigram is from P.O.S., who I don't know who that is. and it It's from oh. the song, Let It Rattle. Yeah. Uh, but the, the line is, there ain't nobody to be pretty for. Fuck it. Let it rattle. Yeah. And there's something about that where uh, we, just be, we all realize that here we are. We're these human beings uh, in this, um, you know, sort of heroic adventure of our lives. And none of us is even close to perfect. And at some point, that realization is so liberating that you don't have to be pretty for anybody anymore. And you don't have to be pretty for yourself. Right. And what a relief. How true. And, And I actually
1: love that line so much, I used it in my second book. And my third
0: book, you know, it's like
1: I don't give a shit, it fits here I'm going to use it again, you know But Just quick again, credit where it's due P.O.S. is a wonderful underground hip-hop artist, he's a member of the collective Doom Tree, who falls under the Rhyme Sayers label which features, or is run by Slug of Atmosphere, and I'm a, like I said a big fan of underground hip-hop So, and I love him because this is a dude who came up from the punk rock scene but yet he's now this amazing hip-hop artist who will incorporate bands, which you're probably not familiar with, but like Isis or Fugazi or, you know, these classic bands. I know Corey knows who Fugazi is, um, but anyway, so yeah, but that line, it, it just so deeply resonates with me. And that goes back to those punk rock ethics. Like I have felt that way since 13 or 14, you know, I've always been a black sheep in my family, in my rural community to this day. Um, often when I go to events, even at integral, Everyone was so kind and loving, and it was wonderful to meet them. But, you know, my my girlfriend Lacey Ann and I, we, we kind of stood out like sore thumbs with the exception of Corey and maybe mm-hmm. one or two other people. Um, but, you know, here we are wearing our band shirts or, you know, Lacey Ann with her crazy look. And, you know, I mean, Eating she's ice. gorgeous. What's that, Corey?
2: Eating ice in the background. <laughs> Eating ice. and the-
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was with her uh last night and sure enough, eating ice. I was making fun of her cause she's shaking her cup violently and she's like, I have to get the perfect piece of ice anyways. <laughs> topic, but, but even like the thing is like, and I'm glad you brought her because to me, like I consider her a dear spiritual teacher. You know, it's not just about the Ken Wilbers and the Ram Dass and the other people in this book um, or the Ramana Maharshis or Nagarjuna's, Nirgha- excuse me. Like, of course, you know, my my bookshelves are littered with their works, but it's, I love how it's pr- probably not Krishna Das was the first one to say, it, but he often talks about life is the guru. Life is the teacher, regardless of whether you believe in gurus or not, that's neither here nor there. But, you know i i look at when i so like when i go into do that work with youth or any workshop um the re- part of the reason i make it very interactive is somewhat selfishly i'm not i'll be honest i'm not entirely altruistic like i learn just as much from listening to other people as i do sharing in my own experience mm-hmm. and i find that so much with my girlfriend you know she has been such an incredible teacher to me you know someone who doesn't really have a specific spiritual practice. Um, she doesn't really meditate or do yoga or anything like that. Um, doesn't read the texts. I know she's a fan of the four agreements, but other than that, she is one of the most kind, compassionate, caring, loving human beings I've ever met, you know, and to me just watching the way she is in life. And when something negative happens, she is so wonderful at, like, doing her best in a very real and authentic way because it's natural. She's not forcing it to find the positive. It's like, wow. Like I feel like she puts me to shame, to be honest with you. And it's like, man, you should be giving this workshop, not me, you know, but that's not of her interest. So anyways, uh, but that's why I'm I'm grateful.
0: It's so beautiful and, and, and such a beautiful practice actually. Yeah. To see what this person in front of you has to teach you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And to really look at them yes. and to really penetrate and yeah. to receive. Yeah. And, and also, um, in a way, what we have to teach ourselves at some point once we really get that we can. And, and you talked about it a minute ago where you talked about the shadow practice, which is basically the practice of turning towards our pain.
1: Right. Yes.
0: Instead of away from it. Right And that the metabolization that it's basically from a Buddhist perspective, the burning of the karma yeah of that painful experience uh, mm. is liberating. Mm. It yeah. may just be an onion skin of liberation, but it's still liberation. yes, and that becomes a practice, and once you start seeing how that works and how uh, ef- effective it is, you know. It then you can just, that becomes a, a, a new way of living.
1: Absolutely. And that's why I love the practice of Tong Tonglen as well, you know, breathing in the pain and others' pain. And, um, you know, I share that in this book. I, I think actually, I actually might've shared it in all three of my books, but it's just one of those practices, you know, where it's like, instead of avoiding the pain, let's lean into it. I do say though that there are certain occasions where it is, I believe, and, and, you know, Corey and I were just joking about it, but a Hagen Daz pint meditation, you know, like, yeah. it is okay to step away and put some space because some things in life are just so heavy that in the moment, they are too much, you yeah. know, they really are. And yeah, it I is- had
0: an experience of that when mm-hmm. I, was a, I was a, you know, really intense meditator and went to retreats all the time and, and I was having an anxiety um, period. Yeah. And and that's sort of my natural thing. Yeah. And I was flop sweating onto the cushion. Mm. And there was no more point in me being ever more mindful of my torment. It yeah, totally. totally. So I got the fuck up and left, which I'd never done, never thought I would ever do. And it was one of the best things I've ever done. Yep. Yeah, Yeah. Sometimes you gotta tap out. I mean, sometimes you really have to tap out. I mean tap
2: out mindfully. Know that you're tapping out, but, you know, let yourself give yourself that sort of that space, that forgiveness, uh let yourself be vulnerable, let yourself be a mess for a little while. And then, you know, all sort of, you know, the things that you know, you should be doing will, we'll you know, you can, you can return to that later on, but Agre- if you need to tap out.
1: Absolutely. I often joke, like there's no trophies given out in spirituality, you yeah. know, so it's like there should but- be. There should be. <laughs> I mean, I know. <laughs> I know we have the Watkins 100. No, I was just going to say,
2: we have Watkins uh, giving out, uh, giving uh, out a trophy.
1: But, uh, you know, that aside, you know, I, there's no trophies for that. Well,
2: version. and so, sometimes the spiritual response is not the appropriate response. Sometimes, yes. you know, the, the answer is not to drop yourself on a cushion because what right. you're actually doing right there is ignoring whatever the irritant happens to be. And you're, you're trying to bypass it. And you're actually avoiding where the real work is. And, you know, and, and, and Chris, I love, I love how you actually describe sort of the, the feeling of shadow work because i feel like your experiences in the punk and hardcore scene actually sort of primed you in a certain sense for for the the discomfort that shadow work really brings because you know punk is the sound of the exposed nerve right yeah, gr- punk well is the, is the sound of of a disassociated sort of identity sort of co- a disassociated collective identity and trying to sort of reintegrate it's it's being an irritant right and that sound can be so abrasive I mean you walk into a punk club or a hardcore club if you're not accustomed to it it, you might just bounce off you know like a meteor bouncing off the atmosphere because you can't handle that level of of sort of friction but if you can acclimate to it if you can let yourself sort of ride that wave and 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 let that abrasiveness take you where it's supposed to take you it'll probably dislodge something and you know what it's not a comfortable process it's not a, right. it's, not a it's not a beautiful process you know i love that that lyric it reminded me of a uh, faith no more don't look at me i'm ugly in the morning right, right. there's there's this there's this sort of like let's let's find a way not to not to sort of bang on this ugly thing until it looks pretty but let's find a way to make ugly itself something beautiful Right, yeah. which I think is, is something that punk and hardcore and you know, bands that you and I both love like Faith and More do really, really well. Is it sort of, you know, it's, it's deliberately atonal. It's deliberately sort of, you know, creating these, these resistance layers just so you can fucking break through them.
1: So well said. And
2: reintegrate and, and sort of recover that energy. But shadow work, it ain't pretty, it's loud. It's it's It hurts, it's painful, yes. it's uncomfortable. And you kind of have to learn to sit in that fire.
1: Yeah, and you're right. That's it's a great primer. In the introduction to my first book, Noah Levine, who wrote Dharma Punks, he wrote the uh, forward, not the introduction. Um, and he's son to Stephen and Andrea Levine, who were. Well, uh, Stephen's passed on. Andrea is still with us. But, you know, they've been hugely influential in my life as well in their teachings. But Noah at one point says, you know, one of the most compassionate things we can do in certain circumstances is to say no or is to churn up the radio really loud, you know, like to, to give ourselves that space. And with punk, I wish I remembered the quote verbatim. But going back in my first book, I quoted a friend who was quoting a friend. But he said something about how, It was so well said too but something to the effect of you know for us at that time punk was a last ditch effort um to find something real and authentic in a world uh increasingly devoid of it Mm. you know it was worded more eloquently than that but something to that effect and again that's why i said like it's so interesting to me now almost being 40 you know that was when i was 13 meeting and running into so many old school punk rock and hardcore kids, like they grew up and found their way to Buddhism or Hinduism or some form of mystic tradition, or just a a general interfaith spiritual practice, whatever that might look like, you know, um, it's great. But you know, of course, it's not limited to that. You know, I've, I've met so many beautiful, wonderful people that could give two shits about hardcore music. I've also met plenty of spiritual quote-unquote people who have given me shit for the t-shirts I wear or the bands I listen to you know I remember when I think it was my last book everything mine came out um Ram Dass and Tara Brock and Kenyo, they were all lovely enough to share about it on their social medias and whatnot as they did with this book but I remember specifically in on a post on Ram Dass' Facebook page and Tara Brock's, I don't remember wording, but they were both similar from different people. But in the post, you know, promoting the book, they had a picture of me. And for those who are listening and can't see me, I mean, I'm heavily covered in tattoos. like. 80, 85% covered. Um, it's just something that I love. And I don't care if you have no tattoos. I'm more concerned on what's, what's going on on the inside, not the outside. You know, that's where my interest lies at. But I remember these you know, comments. Um, it was only one on each post, but it was like, you know, who would ever read a book from someone who looks like that, you know, like, that would do that to their body? You know, how could they know the first thing about spirituality if they're not honoring... What a, what a spiritual thing to say. I know, right? And I'm like, wow, man. But luckily, it's like, you know what, dude, that's their shit, not mine. You know, like, that's their business. That just shows me. And I'm not judging them. That's just, man, that's where they're at in their
2: practice. I kind of am. I know. All right. I probably kind (laughs) of did too. I
0: would would just bet that for every one of those, there's 100 who think, wow, I want to know what this guy has to say. Yeah, yeah, that's true. They're leaning in. This feels different. True,
1: but being a sensitive guy that I am, of course, I focus on that one comment and not the other hundred nice ones. Like I, <laughs> I'm up know. at night, like two a.m. Like, why does that person not like me? I'm a good guy. I'm just trying to help, man. But Yeah. Well, yeah.
0: you're 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 coming from you know a bigger playing field, True. and uh and 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 that's one of the other things I like about your book is that it, you you get outside the 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 lane here with. Uh, you talk about magic. Uh, you yeah. talk about psychedelics. Of course, yeah. that's dangerous territory for anybody who's in the recovery field. Oh, I've caught uh, a lot of shit for that. Yeah. Yeah. So, d- why don't you tell us a little bit about you know these sort of wild card practices? Yeah, yeah. absolutely.
1: I mean, I have not personally done psychedelics in, prob- I'd say, over ten years. However. I see that they can be a very spiritual thing. I mean, I host my own podcast on Ram Das's network. So Mm -hmm. it'd be kind of silly for me to be, you know, the kind of the kind of person that is anti-psychedelic, even in my sobriety, you know, even today, I am pro-psychedelic use if, and, and that's a big if it feels right for the person. Um, it's all about context or set and setting. I'm sorry, set and setting and context. You know, uh, why are you doing it? What's your intention? When I was younger, I had done psychedelics between mushrooms and acid easily over a hundred times. But when I was doing it, it wasn't a means of dropping out. It was just like it made Tarantino films like more interesting or Mr. Bungle music more interesting. <laughs> you know, like watching Blue Velvet. You know, like was. <laughs> you know, a movie like that's crazy enough, but you watch that on acid, like forget say,
2: it. M- Mr. Bungle is a psychedelic. Uh, yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I actually was in a, a a bus or an accident once where I crashed into the back of a bus. It put the um, hood of my car, it folded in half through my windshield. I was equal parts at fault. The bus driver stopped short. I was going fast. I was a senior in high school. And I remember I went to the hospital. Luckily, no one was hurt. But there was like a school dance that night and we opted not to go. We went to a friend's house and we dropped acid and listened to Mr. Bungle. And it's like the walls were bleeding. It was insane, dude. And, um, you know, who, who drops acid after being in this? I mean, they had to bring a crane in to lift the bus up off of my car. It ripped my engine in half. They said if the hood was like an inch lower, we would have been decapitated. But fuck it, let's, let's go listen to Mr. Bungle and drop acid. But anyways, that, <laughs> that was might not be not, the best set setting. No, that was not. And that's a, hence like the walls were bleeding and it was an interesting night to say the least. However, yeah, I've seen, and uh, and especially with ayahuasca, something I have not done, but I, I talk about a lot in chapter two with Gabor Mate, who is one of the world's most renowned uh, addiction experts. And he is a big time pro advocate for it but he also says only if you feel called to it so i look at things like that or even marijuana which i don't smoke but i look at these things as plant medicines not drugs to me drugs are heroin and crack and cocaine things that have no redeeming value to them you know whatsoever these other things on you know on the other hand can if they are done in a spiritual context or a context of going deeper, are they necessary? I don't think so. Um, can they be beneficial? Absolutely, and, and be here now. Ram Das talks about uh, his guru Maharaji, and Maharaji talks about how psychedelics exploded back in the whatever it was like the early 60s, because here in the West, we needed, we were and continue to be a very material culture But for our consciousness expanding purposes, we needed a material way of going about it. But he went on to make the point that psychedelics are cool or good in the sense that they can get you in the room with Christ and you can see the face of Christ if you're so lucky, but you're going to have to leave at some point because that psychedelic's going to wear off. Mm. Whereas the trick is to find your way into that room so that you don't have to leave. And that's done through practices right. like meditation and through the stages like Ken, you know, with his wonderful integral maps and quads and quad, quadrants, uh, aqual, you know, he lays it out very clearly for us. Um, you know, and there's so many different paths up the mountain, as we know. But um, yeah, and then regarding magic, um, I was fascinated to talk about that because I'm just fascinated by... All things occult oriented, because that's the dark side, supposedly. But it's not really like. Damien Eccles was a gentleman I had uh, who spoke to that, and I actually just did a workshop with him in New York City last weekend, and we're presenting together again next month uh, out at Alex Gray's Cosm, which, you know, I love. I know we're all fans of Alex's, and um, he's become just such a wonderful friend, thanks to Ken's introduction, and uh, I've been honored to teach out there a number of times. But Damien, you know, he spent 20 years of his life on death row for a crime he didn't commit, and 12 of those were in solitary confinement. And finally, he was let go on what's called the Alfred Pleen. We could do a whole podcast on that, but in a nutshell, you know, he found his sanity through practices of magic, and that's magic with a K, um, and and you know through people like alistair crowley and i i am in no means an expert on magic whatsoever but i do find it very fascinating but he also attributes his well-being and he talks in that chapter about zen buddhism and mystic christianity and he finds the bible when read in a certain context to be a very inspirational book you know he's not a reborn christian by any means his major thing is magic and uh, he has a book coming out with sounds true later this year and it's called magic. And I think the subtitle is something like uh, the practices that help save my life uh, living on death row, you know, something like that. And um, so, yeah, like I said, there's so many different means and methods of healing. And that's why it not only in this book in my last two, I always include practices from different traditions and non-traditions, things that are not um, what you maybe consider, again, quote unquote, spiritual. Skateboarding to me, if I am there in the moment, is an exceptionally spiritual practice. You know, being on my board, literally, it's it's a it's like being in the Tao, like going with the flow, flowing. Yeah, flow states, yeah, flow states, literally. Um, and and to to state the obvious, you know, like hiking or gardening. But then there's art, love making, um, all sorts of things like there's so many means to having these spiritual experiences, awakenings, the things that inspire us to keep going and to dig deeper and continue on our healing journey. And just, and not only for ourselves, but so we can show up in the world and be better people for others, you know, be, be of benefit to all beings. Um, you know, the Bodhisattva vows, I, I, I've taken them years ago. Um, I don't call myself a Bodhisattva, but I do try to live as a, as Bodhisattvic, if that's a word uh, of a life as I can again, failing miserably every day, but I do put forth the effort. You know, Mm -hmm. I I do have the conscious intention every single day to the best of my ability. Mm.
2: It's
0: beautiful. Uh, Chris is your teaching. It's, it's so beautiful. Uh, is it, getting traction, are you? It, it, what would you say about people receiving this? Also just the nature of the spiritual lives of the people you're talking to.
1: Yeah, so okay, so the, the interesting thing is that yes, it definitely is, and what I love is that I get a lot of emails and a lot of messages on social media from uh, all sorts of different people age ranges anywhere from 16 15 to 70 or 80 you know people that are reading these books or that have attended a talk or a workshop and were able to resonate and that means the world to me that shows me that okay man mission accomplished you're you're conveying or distilling down not just the some of the wisdom teachings from the traditions but you're presenting these various healing modalities and practices in a way that are accessible for people. Now the catch 22 where punk rock and hardcore kind of bites me in the ass is another part of those ethics that are deeply instilled are like you don't sell out. And so as you know we know there's a formula. If you want to hit the New York Times bestseller list it's pretty much one plus one equals two. I look yeah. at the spiritual books that are at the top of the list, and the majority of them I haven't read. But if I'm in a bookstore, you know, I'll flip through them, and it's like, all right, yeah, like, you're not really saying anything that anyone else hasn't already said. It's very watered down. And I, I was gonna say I don't mean to talk shit, but I'm talking shit. Like I'm a real person, and. And I think a lot of what is popular, uh, and not to say all of it, because there is some very valuable stuff that has gained a lot of traction, um, is very valuable. But a lot of it does a sincere disservice. You know, a lot of it is uh, spiritual bypassing. It's very watered down. It's McMindfulness. It's, um, it's garbage. And so I don't want to write like that. I write about, you know, stuff that's not comfortable i write about i share practices that aren't comfortable you know i i and i and it's not that my books are dark and depressing like that i find i try to write from a humorous standpoint often like i like i said i throw myself under the bus i make jokes like you know it's the light and the dark as as uh ken would say the grace and grit you know it's they're both just two sides of the same coin so I have a hard time with the whole marketing scheme and the whole promotional thing. I suck at that. So, I mean, if I was better at it, there would be more traction, but I'm shocked at like how well things do book wise or the events I've spoken at. It never ceases to amaze me when I'm invited or I'm speaking in front of 2000 people it's like and I look to my left and right and here are some of those <laughs> teachers I may or may not have just shit talked I'm not going to name names but um it's like wow like and I, to me I'm still just like this 11 year old at heart who I'm looking over <laughs> I have a ton of Simpsons <clears throat> DVDs like seasons on DVD in the office and I laugh at completely inappropriate humor and I listen to still listen to punk and hardcore and metal and i just i am who i am you know like i enjoy what i enjoy i meditate daily i have a dedicated spiritual practice i honor my truth and if say tomorrow i wake up and listening to punk and metal doesn't resonate then i will lay it aside if it's for a day a week a month a year the rest of my life okay but like that's a gift of meditation and learning to be more intuitive uh, with my inner self um, and not just meditation, but mantra and prayer and all that. Well,
0: that's one of the things that I think, you know, multiplies the effect of your book, Chris, is that after every chapter you give a practice. Yeah. Uh, a real, a, a real practice. With yeah. Steps and drawings and, <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and they're, and they're inspired by the download you got from the conversations that you've had and the transmission yes. you've gotten. Yeah. And, damn, man, that helps me to, you know, really engage what it is you're talking about. So that was, that was a good move. Yeah. Thank you. Again, inspired greatly by the ILP
1: book, you know, which provides so many practices. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd been doing that with my first two, but I didn't do it this way. I wanted to, some of the practices are given to me directly they direct transmissions from the teachers. Others are practices that um, I incorporated in that I use that I found were a nice complement to that chapter. Um, so it's a mix of both. But either way, yes, it's like like I said, like here's a chapter, a conversation to help get the wheel spinning, to help hopefully help people see things from a different perspective, to to remove any potential blinders. But most importantly, let's start doing the work. Yeah. That's, and, that's yeah. where
2: it happens. Yeah. And Chris, I was going to ask about this because yeah. you know when you're dealing with addiction, really when you're dealing with any sort of brokenness, especially if you've sort of already taken the integral red pill and you know that things like integral life practice exists and you know, yeah. you know that there are solution sets out there, right? Or at yeah. least there's, there, there are paths that you can take that will ultimately bring you a little bit closer to recovery. Of course. But the problem is you know, in those moments, in those moments of anguish, of temptation, of, of, you know, of tapping out, really, yeah. you have a choice. And that choice is, is, you know, there's an easy choice. And there's a, a, a really difficult choice. And the easy choice is to go unconscious is to, you know, perpetuate whatever that habit is, of um, course. Whatever you're <clears throat> or to have
0: a drink, or
2: have a drink, yeah absolutely light a joint or you know tap your vein or whatever it might be right um or watch some porn or i mean jesus there's we're surrounded by by you know it's a sticky world and we get addicted to it very very easily (laughs) speaking of porn but anyways (laughs) i said (laughs) i'm so inappropriate i had to
1: I'm i'm sorry i
2: like that um but so but the other choice can feel fucking overwhelming Right. I mean, yes, you said it absolutely. earlier, you, you said, earlier, you know, it's like, it's like I have a, you know, I go to the gym six days a week. I have a daily meditation practice. I do this shadow work. I've got these teachers that I get transmissions from. I do this. I do that. I do that. I do that. It's fucking overwhelming. Right. To the point where, again, if I'm in that situation and, and I'm, I'm having that, you know, really difficult moment and I've got to make a choice that overwhelm can actually push me towards making the less conscious choice.
1: Absolutely.
2: And so I'm, I'm wondering if you so, so, you know, again, that's why it's important, I think, to provide actual bite sized practices the way you do in your book, because it, it, it gives a breadcrumb trail, right? Yeah. It actually helps acclimate people to be like, no, there, there, there's a crack in the wall here. There's some, there's something I can, I can walk through here and actually feel like I, you know, I took a step forward. Um, so, you know, what I was going to ask you is, you know, it's, it's often sort of accepted that for someone who's struggling with addiction, they're not really going to be able to, they're not going to have the capacity, the inner resources to do anything about it until they basically, you know, hit bottom, hit rock bottom,
1: which is bullshit.
2: So, so okay, so this, this, this is great. This is exactly what I wanted to ask you so it's sort of left to that it's like well, we just have to wait for these people to completely fuck up their lives, right. fuck up their relationships, right. you know, damage their kids, do you know whatever whatever it might be um, in order for them to get onto a path of recovery yes. so i 'm wondering what advice do you have for someone who might be watching right now and you know, having their own struggles who are, who are challenged by the you know I mean, you really have to cultivate some serious willpower in mm-hmm. order to engage you know the solutions in order to to even be to even feel like you have a shot here yeah. it takes an, an incredible amount of volition, an incredible amount of willpower to, to, to turn that corner yeah right, and i'm wondering if you have any sort of um, specific advice for for those yeah things.
1: well, f- that is such an important. Topic and and wonderful points you made, Corey. Thank you for that. Um, and I'm glad that you brought up. Yes, I named like all these different things I do. So first to address that, I didn't just wake up one morning and be like, you know what? Here's like ten things I'm going to do today, and off to the races. Mm -hmm. No, it's like the person that goes to the gym and tries to like do it all in one day, and either injures themselves or gets discouraged because they don't see results in a week. Mm-hmm. What I recommend for people, you know, if they're interested in this sort of thing, is find one thing. If, if you have no practice whatsoever, find one thing that you enjoy, or maybe you don't even enjoy, but you know over time will benefit you, and start there. Start slow, start easy. It's not like you're gonna go to the gym and work your biceps out if you've never worked them with freaking 50 pound dumbbells. You know, you're gonna start it like, depending on who you are, 5, 10, 15, 20 pounds. I don't know, but like, start where you are, start slowly, but dedicate yourself. So I often tell people find five minutes a day to start a meditation practice, even if it's a guided practice, whether it's vipassana, you know, just breath, whatever, like five minutes a day. And if you can do five minutes a night too, awesome. But start there. Something you can dedicate yourself to every day. Every day. Do something every day. And then over time, gradually increase it. You know, like don't push yourself too hard, but don't slack. You know, like it's like that Buddhist teaching of the woman playing the sitar or whatever. You know, like she, you know, she tunes the string too tight, it breaks. She doesn't tune it enough, it's too loose. She tunes it just right, the middle path. You walk the middle path, so that's that's my recommendation as far as like people that don't. And I'm assuming most people listening to this already have their practices, but you know, in case anyone is tuning in that doesn't, just find something that you can, or a couple of things that work for you. Speaking specifically to the addiction and rock bottom thing, um, it's been shown, especially more recently, that our rock bottoms are what we make them. Mm. unfortunate for unfortunately for me, yes, like I am that classic case study, the poster boy of rock bottom, you know like like i said i'm i don't need to rename it, but nearly dying numerous times, et cetera like i addiction brought me there, but I have seen people who have not lost anything they just they had enough, they did cross that line it 's essentially start out with experimentation and then regular use, abuse. And then from there, the final stage is addiction. Mm-hmm. And once you cross that line from abuse to addiction, there's like one in a million that can go back and ever safely use a substance again. Right. God bless their souls. I've tried on numerous occasions. I'm that one in a million. Nope, unfortunately I'm not. Yeah. Um, but our rock bottom is what we make of it. And that being said though, the thing is what, it's very important for family members and friends of those who struggle with addiction to know is that you cannot force them to get better. They, it's not that they have to bottom out and lose their job or kids or whatever, but they have to be the ones who want to get better for themselves. Um, And, you know, Gabor Mate speaks to that in the second chapter. He's like, essentially you have two options. One is that, either you are going to love this person unconditionally, you're gonna let them know, I'm sorry that you're going through your experience and you're sharing in this family pain because addiction of any sort is the result of something that's gone on in your life. You know, often it's attributed to childhood and it doesn't mean it's a major trauma like molestation or something horrific. It can be uh, several minor traumas, you know, bullying, whatever the case may be. But, you know, letting him know, look, it, as a family, we suffer, and we 're sorry that you are experiencing your degree of suffering with addiction um, be you know that 's one avenue because when you're when you 're telling them they 're a bad person or you 're not accepting them or you 're judging them that 's just making them feel even shittier and making them want to use more you know like they already feel crummy enough you know it, an addict does not feel good when they 're using you know i mean physically. No. When you're at the stages of addiction, you're, you've resorted back to your reptilian brain. You're in, you're in survival mode. It's fight or flight. It's like this is even to the point of death. You know, you're, like, you're no longer functioning from your neocortex rational mind. You're, you are back in your caveman. This is going to keep me alive. It's odd. It's almost a form of very twisted compassion in a way because it's been ingrained. I am in a significant amount of pain. This has helped relieve that pain yeah. before. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it, yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's a weird form of compassion. I'm not saying that's an excuse to do it, but it's a, it's a very odd way. Um, so the other option is, and, and Gabor makes it very clear that this is neither one is right or wrong, is to tell the person in your life, you know, that person struggling, I love you. I'm sorry that you're experiencing the pain that you're experiencing. I am here to help you when you're ready to get help, but I cannot have this in my own life. Mm-hmm. And that's very hard for people, but people need to take care of themselves who aren't addicted that have family members that are, so that they can be as healthy for themselves for when that addict or alcoholic or or whatever, you know, sex addict, uh, overeater, whomever is ready to get help, is ready to enter treatment, go to meetings, do whatever. So, and then speaking specifically to the addict, if someone's listening or the alcoholic or whatever, all I can say is, you know, like my heart is with you. We do recover. It's just a matter of you making the decision, you and you alone. You can't do it for your kids. You can't do it for your wife, your girlfriend, your parents. They can be an inspiration. Absolutely. But you have to do it for yourself first and foremost. It's
0: beautiful. Yeah, I, and 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 I, I I have to say that I think that the spiritual path is a, a a beautiful way out in in the sense I always think of something that Scott Peck said, the guy who wrote The Road Less Traveled. He said that yes. addiction is a substitute for authentic spiritual experience. Yes, and addiction, yeah. you know. It it softens the ego boundaries. I take a drink, I feel warm, I feel a little more connected. You know, I take my drug, whatever it might be. And so to have a spiritual path ready and waiting for people who make that decision is such a gift. Yeah, I I love that phrase, Jeff. And I
2: I would even, you know, at least the way I enact it, I would just, you know, I would say that addiction becomes a a substitute for authentic experience, period, Period. whether (laughs) spiritual or otherwise. Thank you.
1: Absolutely agreed. Um, and, And I've experienced as well, I had a clinician once in a program tell me, he's like, you're trying to get from here to here. And here meaning like God realization, essentially, through the use of drugs. But he's like, if you don't have a stable foundation to build upon, which I don't, you know, it's this rocky, sandy, whatever. You you can never get to this point. And even if I'm sober and I'm doing my practices, who who knows? I've I've let go of striving to get anywhere. You know, it's just doing the best I can, being the best person I can. And one one thing that came up for me as you were saying that is I also tell people to be careful when they step on the spiritual path, because that can also be a means of aversion. You oh, know, yeah. let me just let me just go meditate, you know, do this guided meditation. To feel like all blissful and there's nothing wrong with feeling good and blissful because love and light is absolutely part of it. But yeah, man, people use spiritual practices as a means of aversion and dropping out too. And that can become Mm -hmm. an addiction in and of its own. So it's always a fine line to walk with all things. You know, we just, we have to keep ourselves in check and be real with ourselves about shit.
0: Yeah. Well, Chris, you (laughs) have given us some wonderful guidance here with your book. Dead Set on Living, there it is again, Making the Difficult but Beautiful Journey from Fucking Up to Waking Up. I love that title. I do too. Thanks. And I think a lot of people could relate. Yep. Uh, And um, I really appreciate you being with us. Is there any place that people can go to find out more about you and your work?
1: Yeah. I mean, essentially, if they just visit my website, um, you can find my social there. You can get in touch with me there. You can see my upcoming events. So I won't bother listing all that. But the website itself is just theindiespiritualist.com. In Indie, is spelled I-N-D-I-E. So one word, the Indie Spiritualist com and uh, yeah, it's all right there. Um, and I I respond to every single email I get. Talk about DIY, those punk ethics DIY, do it yourself. Mm-hmm. I'm still just one man. Three books in, you know, several conferences and festivals and workshops. I handle everything myself. But God damn it, if I will not find the time to write back to somebody who writes to me, you know. Oh, wow. So if someone's listened and inspired and wants to connect, it has a question. Um, I, it may take me a day. It may take me a week because the book did just launch. I'm hectic, but I absolutely 110% of the time always respond um, to anyone who gets in touch with me. So I'm fully accessible. Right.
2: I also really highly recommend that people check out uh, Chris's dialogue with Ken Wilber. We actually have two of them, uh, three of them, I think. Really, a whole bunch. Um, yeah. The one I'm thinking of in particular is the Hardcore Spirit series. Yeah, which is something like seven hours or some yes. ridiculous amount of time that you spent talking with Ken. Uh, it's a Q and A where you basically ask Ken questions that were submitted to you uh, yeah. from your own sort of peers and your own network, yeah. and uh, you guys cover just a lot of ground. Um, you know, from music to culture, to art, to addiction, to spiritual practice and, you know, um, and and you and Ken really vibe off each other in a really cool way. Um, It's available on integral I believe it's a pay what you want. So, you know, you can get it for a dollar or you can give us, you know, a thousand dollars for it, whatever you feel it's worth. (laughs) Um, yeah.
1: Thanks for Definitely sharing that one. I, I love that one. I'll, uh, you know, I always love working with Ken and, and conversing with him. And I'm not, I can't nap. I don't nap because if I nap, I'm not going to sleep. But that dialogue series was done in two parts, like three, three and a half hours each conversation. And you guys know Ken as well as anyone. And after that, my mind was just so melted. I mean, it was <laughs> it was a dialogue. It wasn't just me asking Ken questions. Like right. wait, we, got it. we got deep into it. But I remember like, I, at the end i was like sweaty like i had to go lay down after both parts just because it's it's ken you know yeah. And we went deep but yeah that's one of uh the, my most favorite things i've done period mm. and conference-wise speaking books because yes like you said we covered so much and and ken has such a eloquent down-to-earth way especially when speaking you know i know his writing at times can can be heady for some people, but um I think that's a very accessible series. Totally. Um
0: yeah. So thanks it's, for it's a for great
2: introduction time. to both of your
0: yeah. Yeah, thank yeah you. Yeah besides getting your mind melted is a great practice. <laughs> totally. Yes. So it's a stage yes. of the path. I believe
1: it's Alan Watts who said sometimes we have to lose our mind to come to our senses and uh yes. Ken helps me do that on uh
0: frequently. <laughs> so yes. you too. Yeah. hallelujah. <laughs> Well, thank you, Chris. Uh, I'm very grateful to have you in the Integral community and to have you be doing your work and look forward to much more to come.
1: Thank you, guys. I'm humbled, honored, and the pleasure was all mine. Thank you for the invitation and your presence.
0: All right. Thanks, Corey. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.